0: Uh, so that makes sense. Right. And like one thing, you know, a little, little bit Jeff Bezos style, we ask these things uh, often at Simple is like, okay, well, is that the most foundational insight? Because the question is, would retailers thousand years back want to build trust relations with the customers? The answer is yes. Would would they want to do it now? The answer is yes. Would they want to do it in on the internet? The answer is yes. Would they want to do it in the US? The answer is yes. Right. Um, uh, would they want to do it thousand years out? Probably yes. Right. And so we are like, okay, we are, we are convinced this is the first principle. This is the truth. And, and, you know, we
1: can build on top of it. Hey, Niter, thank you for agreeing to do this. Really looking forward to the chat. Likewise, i Mazin, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So we'll start with the rapid fire. This has become a sort of permanent fixture on the podcast. Uh, it's a good way to begin as well. Um, so if you could be something else in any other field if you were not doing what you were doing what would you be doing um musician okay and uh what kind of music or what instrument or
0: so um so by the way I'm, I'm not very good at music myself right okay. um so that's why I like it I'm I'm not good at it but I admire musicians who create music create something from zero and are able to stand in a hundred thousand people stadium and just like, you know, put them as one consciousness. So that is, that is interesting to me, uh, as a musician, um, I guess if I was a musician, I would be a lead guitarist okay. and a lead vocalist of a rock band.
1: Nice, <laughs> fairly specific. Although, although the
0: probability of that happening is near zero. <laughs> <That's right.
1: laughs>
0: and
2: What's on your bucket list?
0: going to space, uh, something like that would okay. be, you know, obviously, I don't think there is a reasonable way to go there right now. Uh, but whenever it is, that'll be exciting. Uh, yeah. I
1: understand. Um, what is one question you would ask yourself if you were the AJVC podcast host? Um,
0: I think one question would be, uh what is a singular unique insight uh which through which or with which we are building our company.
1: Cool. We will pick that question up then. <laughs> That's good. Helps us helps us through our questions.
2: And for our guests who are aspiring entrepreneurs, bootstrap versus funded.
0: Um, I don't think, I don't think there is an easy answer here. Um, I don't think, I think both are, um, very viable paths that one can take. Um, it depends on what you're building, uh, how fast you want to go. Uh, there are trade-offs in both. Um, uh, so, you know, I think I, my only thing is there is a framework to it. Um, when you take money from someone else, uh, there is a very important responsibility of using it very well. Uh, and returning a lot of money back um, and and with that the, the game changes it quite a bit uh, and realizing that is very important. Similarly, bootstrap is very viable. Um, probably if you don't need money it's, it's the best way to think about any business. Uh, oftentimes you know what people people um, confuse money with is success like raising money or having money to build a business people think that alone it's successful and oftentimes uh, as we are seeing now in this environment oftentimes that's a liability uh, so the only way to think about money or raising money is can that catalyze the growth in the business uh, in in a in a way where
1: bootstrap would not if you had to describe your company's culture in three adjectives what would they be um
0: very mission driven. Uh, We have a very singular mission. We started in 2015. It's been eight years. Um, We have not changed that um, uh, despite all the ups and downs and, um, you know, shiny things that come in the middle. Uh, So that's number one. I'm very proud of that. Second is um, uh, because of that, the focus of the team, uh, we are doing uh, something very, very hard. Um, The team is very, uh, the right team to be able to uh, think through uh, the trade-offs between long term and short term as we pursue our mission uh, and then last but not the least uh, um, for the most part we are having a great time uh, doing what we are doing um, mm-hmm. and I think our relationship with challenge is quite a positive one um, you know sort of, a lot of times teams and companies think of challenges as a negative mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, thing we th- we think, uh that challenges uh makes us better that's why we are doing it other than pursuing success and uh, you know accomplishing our mission uh, so our, our our relationship with challenges what
2: and uh, what's one truth that few people agree with you on um
0: um One of the, one of the truths is, um, you know, oftentimes uh, we are obviously building our company, um, uh, we believe what we are building is a global opportunity. Uh, we started in India because we feel, we felt that India had a, the perfect storm to start something like this. Um, and one thing that, uh, not everybody or very few people believe, uh, or, or agree with me on is that the, a lot of people think that the India, Indian consumer is in some way different from sort of like an American or a European or African or or a Japanese consumer, Um, um, which I believe oftentimes uh, hold us back and people back in building really great products, because I believe uh, great products are built when you are able to distill down a consumer or customer's uh, problems and needs into first principles, Right? what do they need? Um, And oftentimes when you truly do that at the most ground, fundamental level uh, people are the same Uh, and that's where you see some of the best companies in the world like like an Amazon right I mean like their inside is nothing but everybody uh, wants everything at the cheapest price delivered to them fastest and that's true for an Indian consumer or American consumer and so on Um, and you know that's how we think about building our company where we don't think about our consumer as a you know a boxed into a demographic or, or a continent or a country, uh, we think about a, a, a global internet consumer uh, who, who has access to the best products in the world, and how do we build better products
1: and solve problems for consumers. Awesome. Uh, Nitya, can you talk us through early days growing up? Uh, you ended up migrating to the US um, just after your undergrad. Can you talk us through that? Why did you end up going to the US? Um, and then we can talk through your early career, which with one very interesting phase, which was working at Baystone's before the financial crisis. Um, so would love to talk through that. Yeah. Um,
0: so I, my background is I grew up in India. I, I, I was born and brought up in a, in a town called Mathura in UP, hmm. uh, was there till about eighth grade, um, had a pretty nice life, um, uh, you know. And then my parents, um, mathra had small schools and at, at that time, my parents decided to, to, to move the whole family to Delhi. So we moved to Delhi to go to a slightly better school. So when there, um, that was the first time, it was a very interesting transition, mathra while it, it's not the smallest town in the world, but it's a small town compared to Delhi nice. and moving just like Lockstock and parallel to a, I went to army public school in, in, in Delhi, which is probably the largest. Sort of like this school in India, I think, Uh, Mm. and going from my small little Mathura school to a very large school in high school was quite an interesting um, challenge. Uh, It was challenging, uh, but it was fun. Um, So I was in Delhi. Uh, After that, I uh, studied engineering um, in uh, Chandigarh Punjab Engineering College. Um, uh, You know, in high school, I was very good at math and physics. I really loved physics mostly and, you know, had this. You know it was not that that did not mean i had the highest marks in physics but i always felt i could feel physics i i, I could imagine things uh, that you know i don't even like sometimes i i could feel that a rotational motion should be like this without right. doing it so i uh, naturally felt that mechanical engineering would be something i should study so i studied mechanical engineering um, and what happened was in the first year of college uh, i interned with a a very large company i should not name the company it's just one of those automobile companies and i had the worst 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 uh, summer um, hmm. and not because of anything wrong with the company or anything it was just like you know being in a company like that where you are like sitting around very slow moving hmm. stuff in a assembly line with with just not the most exciting robotics and technology that i imagine i'll be playing with it was the worst summer sort of like i was like holy shit this will be at uh, the Really bad four years, and after this, what will I do? I cannot go back to this type of company and this thing. So you know, I had this uh, come to Jesus moment after my first year. Uh, so second year in college, I was just like meandering and like you know, learning a little bit of coding, and you know, maybe, maybe I want to be in computer science and and, and so on. And um, what happened was in the end of two thousand uh, in my second year um, and and sort of like third year, I ended up reading a book. Um, which I don't think is very commonly read in India that much is a book called Liar's Poker. Um, like have you read- Michael Lewis. Yeah, mm-hmm. this, this was Michael Lewis's, I think, first book ever. First book. Um, and I read this book and I was like, whoa, like, I just want to be this. right? I mean, like, this was like, it was almost like, like, you know, this is what I want to be. Right. Uh, so I kind of like, you know, that's when I kind of like, after one year of not having like a sense of what I want to be, and like, so just like partying and just like doing my thing, uh, in, in college, uh, had some at least direction of like, okay, I want to be this. And, you know, kind of like started reaching out to people like Goldman Sachs or whatever. And like, oh, well, we don't hire from a college and stuff. So my thing was, okay, let, let's just go to the U.S. So I studied, uh, for G- GRE, uh, studied financial mathematics, went to U.S. Um, and yeah, um, you know, went there and. You know, got my first job at Bear Stearns, as as you mentioned, Um, and we'll get into, I guess you'll have a question about Bear Stearns, but the interesting thing about my job was, and this is where, you know, I feel like there is so much about, you know, when you have actually a singular purpose, um, despite honestly not knowing how to get there, you actually end up getting there, is my job was, uh, I was a mortgage trader, I I traded mortgage backed, what is called mortgage backed securities, which was basically exactly, and, and, and an environment, sort of like on a trading floor like a little bit of a wide well best in 2000 this is 2004 which was probably the closest um version of what lion's poker was in 2004 right I mean like right. could not have been more different and so it was very interesting yeah I mean I ended up there and yeah yeah that was, was interesting so yeah that's how I ended up in the U.S and then um yeah then started simple after 12 years
1: how was your experience at Best Turns? You were trading the security that would actually blow up everything. Uh, so, so what what was your what was your experience? How was it in the build up to the financial crisis? How did you navigate that? You still spent years in finance after that. So, uh, could you talk us through that?
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I started Best Turns um, in two thousand four in New York City. Um, and, you know, uh, if, if you have read Bersons or any of your audience, uh, or sorry, Lyas Booker, the thing about working on wall street back in the eighties, late eighties was that you needed a very big story, right. Um, and you know, it's really, really, you are dealing with like inordinate amount of money, um, right. on a daily basis, on a daily basis, you know, whether you're winning or losing. So there's no hiding from performance. And, um, People, for the lack of better sort of like adjectives, just not polite, right? Uh, but they are good, uh, helpful people. So, you know, my first few years uh, there, uh, first six months were very interesting. It was definitely a change, a big change. I, you know, now we have these very interesting culture and stuff, things in uh, companies, but I remember my first, and I, I remember how, I, I now I appreciate why it was so interesting. I remember my first uh sort of like few days there right and, and this is a common thing in, on wall street or at least used to be I think things are changing now yeah you know um you are supposed to get the coffee order right uh, so you're a typically it's a trading desk with you know you know let's say anywhere from five to ten people and hmm. you know yeah you know, and like the the youngest the junior most person is like just taking care of stuff right uh, any stuff so it's nowhere close to what you imagine in school like you would sit <laughs> there and like right. wearing a tie and. Going on a limousine so you're just basically getting stuff done uh, so one of the things would be a coffee order like starbucks coffee order and like what 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 you know you like, okay nitya can you get it, get coffee he's like okay who, who wants what and some people are like uh, can i have this coffee with soya latte with like brown sugar on the side with uh, this thing and um and someone will be like can i have this thing with almond milk and I'm like i have latte and like you know all those sort of starbucks thing and like imagine 10 people just like saying things and like not even looking at your face hmm. and like, whoo, what happened? And, and, and obviously pretty much everybody screws over the first order big time, right? Because, you know, you're not taking notes, obviously, and, and you just bring it. And and you're also like worried about asking back, like, oh, shit, because you're a little bit in- intimidated because these guys are, you know, very aggressive at the same time, very smart and are your boss. And, you know, so you're, you're trying to pretend, you know, everything and you completely screw up that off your order when you screw up the coffee order, you are yelled at, like, like, you are the most stupid, dumb person, uh, they have ever met, um, and, and then, and then, and then, you know, no one tells you how to take the next coffee order, uh, except like other people who, who been like, just like maybe a friendly advice, like, just take the notes and like, if you don't know, just ask and the guy will be pissed off at you to ask again, but ask again, right?
1: Right. And,
0: and I think that experience is, I, I I'm just talking about that because, you know, it sounds like stupid and. You know right now a lot of people would say it's abusive almost right i kind of like if when i sort of like see it and look back at, at that that was some of the most important things i learned uh and it's almost like in college we used to have ragging right and when right. You know your college senior rags you you actually have a relationship that you build with them uh, which mm-hmm. is beyond just like this hierarchical relationship of boss and like you you become almost like an apprentice of someone and they want to make you successful then Right. So, you know, that was the start. And then anyways, uh, you know, and like the thing is, you know, w- what is, you know, said is, is, uh, you know, if you can't do a coffee order well, because it's actually hard, how can somebody trust you with trading? Right. I mean, because right. trading is harder and that's real money. Uh, so, you know, it's just that that rite of passage you take, it doesn't matter your degree or college or GPA. It's like, can you do this? Can you do that? And you have to just cross the sort of this thing. And in that whole process, you have to have a thick skin. I loved it. I loved it. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, but also, you know, obviously worked in mortgage-backed Securities uh, when I was uh, working there. We also created CDOs, collateralized debt right. applications, and synthetic CDOs and all that good stuff. Um, um, yeah. You know, um, and then uh, I actually, in 2007, I think I moved to Goldman Sachs, um, left person okay. and versions obviously um, sort of like uh, had to sort of like sell itself at a distressed price to JP Morgan nine months out. Uh, uh, obviously, a lot of my friends uh, work there and, uh, and so on. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the what happens in uh, bull markets is, is, you know, when things are great, uh, great takes over, people forget what risk is and, um, you know, uh, and so on. And Bear Stearns, um, you know, 80, I think, more than 50 percent of revenues used to come from just one floor we used to work on. It was a joke that this floor pays the, you know, salaries of everyone else, uh, which was a 60, 50 floor building, right? So just one floor made more than 50% of revenue. Um, Indeed. obviously that meant when the, that, I mean, obviously then there was a bias in the whole company to just like keep on going with that revenue stream. And obviously risk got built up, not, not what, because of what Bersons did or anyone think yet, like it was a, this perfect storm of, you know, incentives of everyone on wall street and rating agencies. and people who are buying houses and brokers, like imagine this, right? I mean, like what used to happen was, you know, you, 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 you want to buy a house. Let's say you, you think that you should be buying a $250,000 house. And then you go with your family, your kids and like the broker is like, oh, I'll let me show you a $500,000 house. And suddenly that house is nicer and has a pool and you say, well, like, I can't, I don't think I can afford it. Uh, then the broker says well i have a loan for you that is zero interest for the next 10 years okay. and, and and the next thing you know you know the both wife and husband are making money and economy is booming so you say hey we'll make 30 percent more salary next month and next year and my wife is working i'm working everybody's working and so life will be awesome so that, that's why I buy the half a million dollar house and then and then you're like oh but let me run the kitchen and the pool and everything else next you know you have a seven thousand dollar mortgage and 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 every and one thing one one singular assumption that everybody had from wall street to i think governments was the house prices always go up and they right. did for the last i guess 30 years 40 years and the moment and eventually like any price cannot go up forever eventually it has to either flatten or go and and the whole financial markets derivatives were built on sort of this risk management you know infrastructure around house prices don't go down. And the moment it went down, there was just so much leverage in the system that it just collapsed very, very, very right. quickly. Uh, yeah. So interesting. It was an interesting lesson for all of us.
1: Did you think of um, leaving the financial industry? And then can you talk us through the eight years after that, the financial crisis, your time at Goldman, you even were co-founder of a, a financial services firm, and then you started Simple. So can you talk us yeah. through that? Danny?
0: Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, um, you know, during the the peak of the financial uh, crisis, I was, uh, I was actually at Goldman Sachs, again, in the same sort of a thing. Um, um, you know, one of the things that uh, it turned out that, as, as you know, a lot of things uh, got, you know, destroyed, but few firms like Goldman Sachs and few hedge funds did exceptionally well. Right. And the reason was, and this is something I learned actually, at Goldman and generally at life, uh, how important is being able to, to fully, fully, if you're wrong, uh, right, like or, or or for or wrong or wrong direction, being able to truly intellectually know, say we are wrong, uh, in this direction now, going forward, um, making sure a big organization like Goldman Sachs or whatever, right. together agree on that and turn very quickly, right. And most people just can't turn that fast, right, because there's a big ship and so many people, so many profits. And Goldman did it really well, uh, where you know uh, everybody basically you are right. You were you were right for the last bunch of years. If you're long, let's say mortgages, uh, at some point you have to kind of like say, oh, that's the wrong thing. Uh, right. And sometimes if you're wrong, if you're saying wrong, you have to take losses, um, which is very very hard to do, uh, especially as a public company, uh, meaning billions of dollars of losses. But if you can do that, and if you're right in that new direction, then you can short the market and like make crazy money money on the other right. side. But to do that, you have to make that heart, uh, emotional, intellectual pivot as a public company, take the loss and all of that. Goldman did it very well. You know, um, yeah, learned again, that's true as I'm building simple. Right. You, you always do things you have, uh, you know, and al- almost always you do a lot of things that are just not right. And
1: right. It's
0: normal human psychology just continue what, with what you're doing. Our egos get tied into it anyways. Um, I was at Goldman for a few years, uh, then I, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I uh, one thing I always liked about Stones was while it was a bigger, comp- uh, it was not as big as Goldman Sachs, but with, it was a large public company with massive, a lot of people, uh, but the culture was very small, right? I mean, like maybe the group I used to work in, like, we were just like a like hundred people on a floor and just like thought that we owned, the, like, just like that, that was like a startup type thing. And so I was, uh, you know, it's like, it's just like looking for something more interesting, I guess, um, and I came across a very interesting opportunity to be a, in the founding team, team of a new hedge fund. Um, nice. so, we, so I left Goldman to, um, I was not the founder, but in the founding team. So we were like five people started a hedge fund. It was very cool. Like we got a office in Village and Village, um, uh, you know, um, yeah, just did that for another five, four years. Um, and, um, the hedge fund was, you know, reasonably successful, but not very, very successful. Um, and eventually we decided, or our founders decided that we'll just sell it to a CBC. So we sold it to okay. a CBC. Uh, and at that time I, you know, freed up, right. Um, it was a interesting experience, um, uh, building something from scratch and basically doing everything. Uh, and it was fun. And, um, yeah, uh, in 2014, I freed up, uh, and you know, I was thinking about what what I want to do next. And the idea of going to some sort of a Wall Street firm wasn't uh, appealing to me, um, so I just decided to take some time off. And honestly, never considered I will move back to India to start something Psych. like simple. Mm. I thought what I will do was I would start a hedge fund. Um, okay. And I actually hmm. sort of like started putting some thoughts because I thought. I was good at my job and I had so much experience, obviously. So, you know, always thought slightly in the box there. Um, And I started something small, like it it was called Absolute Artha. And I thought I will do emerging market value investing. Uh, I got very interested in how Warren Buffett thinks, uh, which was very different from obviously the rest of the Wall Street. Um, So I learned a little bit about that type of stuff, Uh, but I'll do that. And, um, you know, at that time I was just traveling a lot uh, and I that's when I moved. I, I, spent, I was spending some time in India, and two things happened, uh, which, which then led to me moving back to India fully and starting simple. Which is one was that um, I got rejected for a credit card. Um, okay. And mm-hmm. and honestly, I did not need one because I had a US credit card. But what happened was when I was in India and stuff, at that time you could not use in make my trip and all these websites. They do not allow you to use international credit cards for some bookings, like some fraud control, probably. So I had to. Ask my dad's card my brother's card and so on and it was not the most comfortable thing so i went to my bank hey can i get a credit card and by the way this bank is you know one of the top banks i had a bank account with them when i was in college in india i took a like a one, one crore rupee type loan from for them from them to go to u.s to, to study as a student loan and then i paid the whole loan back when you. i was in the u.s I, I used to send back money in india and like whatever some savings would be invested in stock markets in India, and, and and I had a reasonable balance. And I was shocked that they could not give me a credit card. Um, and obviously, you know, the reason was I did not have an income then, or or a credit score. Um, so that that's something what happened. And I was like, woo! like and living in your New York bubble, you feel that everybody has a credit card. And then you realize, you know, only at that time, 20 million people in India have a credit cards, that's 2 million, uh, 2% of people. Uh, so that was like, interesting to me. And the second thing that i kind of like was extremely shocked about uh was so mind you I, I moved to the us in 2002 i went to grad school and then sort of like lived there uh till about 2014 and um and i saw e-commerce grow uh from mm. 2002 to 2014 and obviously in india at that time there was no e-commerce right so my experience of seeing e-commerce from 2002 to 2014 was pretty interesting and um i saw the whole thing right amazon becoming from whatever it was to Amazon and then of course everything that came after it from Airbnb to Uber to Instacart and DoorDash and everything else. And what shocked me was in India that 70% people still use cash on delivery to buy mm-hmm. things online, despite the fact um, that everybody has a UPI or some, some sort of a way to make a payment, right? Um, yeah. So that's sort of like, um, Yeah, I kind of felt there is something to be done here in the intersection of internet, uh, e-commerce, there are FinTech and financial services, everybody has a bank account, India stack, all of that. How do you sort of like, yeah, I I could not stop thinking about it. And yeah, Simple got started. I'm sure we'll talk more about Simple, so I'll stop there.
2: Yeah, I would love to dive into some of those insights um, and, and, and just walk us through the situation a bit more. So you. You said about trying to start your own hedge fund focusing on value investing in emerging markets and that's what brought you to india and then you had these moments that kind of got you thinking what were some of the insights that you had then and and, and walk us through the thought process to leading you to, to simple
0: i guess you know uh, you know i was you know not actively working on anything i was just like a little bit relaxing and thinking about exactly what i want to do um and i as i said i came across this problem statement and I started thinking just like generally and, and not not really that I want to do it myself, but um, at that, you know, most people just don't have a credit card in India. Obviously, I have used credit card for the last 10 years. I know how great it is and can't live without one. Right. And I thought this is an underwriting problem. Right. So I kind of like felt, you know, there must be an opportunity for someone to kind of like use mobile and Internet and data science and machine learning and all that to give a lot more people credit cards um, and um, and, and I kind of like started thinking, why, why, why is no one doing that? Right. And because in the U S there are some, they were at the time startups and fintechs and stuff that were doing it. So I started thinking, you know, why is someone not doing it? And then kind of like, sort of like, because I had mortgage backgrounds, I had some consumer credit background also. So I thought I understood it more than a normal person, I guess. Um, so I started thinking about it, what is a credit card and so on. And, um, you know, long story short, um, two things happened, uh, that sort of like, gave me the sort of final aha moment to jump and start simple, which was the first thing was this thing that we call the credit card um, that is sitting in our pocket right now. Um, so many people use it, was built in the 1950s. Okay, And almost nothing about it has changed since then. It's basically the same thing. Uh, it used to be a piece of paper with 16 digits on it. And people used to like literally call each other to make a transaction happen. And then, piece of paper became a piece of plastic, and plastic got a barcode after that, and the barcode got a chip, and then, 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 then the internet came, uh, and then we needed all sorts of things like stripes, stripe, and like this checkout button, and everything else to make something like a piece of plastic that was sort of built for the physical world to work on the internet, and and you know things, things, many things are being built to make something that was never built for today's world work. Um, and so naturally, one as I was thinking about a credit card, I was like, "Well, in a place like India where credit cards don't exist, um, and and today's technology does, perhaps the right thing is not to sort of build the 1950s thing here. Uh, sort of like, how do you reimagine the whole thing? Right? I mean, that was sort of like that's the after learning about the credit cards and all the problems it has that we probably cannot go into in this conversation. Uh, but you know, I kind of felt that there is a opportunity to reimagine the credit card, not not build a credit card, but what is the next thing? How would you build it if it did not exist, but in today's world of internet and e commerce and so on? So that's one. The second thing I kind of like um, uh, felt was I was um, at the time living in uh, Bombay, Mumbai, and Bandra. Uh, as you know, Bandra is like this very upper middle class suburb, suburban, but very dense uh, buildings and stuff. One thing I noticed was that I, without realizing, one fine day I realized that. I um, um, I was I was running a khata on multiple stores near my house, my apartment, right? On on the Krana store, on the milkman, obviously the the pet store, the the wine store. I, I still have this example. Like I still know, I, I've been in Bangalore now for four years, but but the wine store I had uh, then it was called Deepak Wines. By the way, anybody who lives in bandra it's a great wine store. And, um, you know, they just like ran a kata on me and it, it it was so handy during the demonetization that my wine, wine supply and beer supply never ended because I was never using money, right? Um, and I kind of like, obviously that's what happened. And I was like, wow, here I am in an upper middle. And obviously, I, as I said, I grew up in Mathura uh, and, and you know, a smaller town, like very small little neighborhood type thing. You know, katas in smaller towns are even more common. Um, you know, typically your family or dad or grandfather It's everywhere, right? Uh, And I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I'm in Mumbai, right? In a upper middle class neighborhood. I'm running khata. Most people are running khata. Despite that, everybody has probably a credit card and debit card and UPI And all these people are giving cashbacks to people to to use their products. And most people just use a khata still, right? And nothing has... And this khata is nothing fancy. It's like a notebook with pen, right? And like everybody has a page and like... You know, they just don't, probably not, don't even know your name. They just know you by, like, some apartment number or something. And there's no very, like, nothing, right? And there's a kata. And when that happened to me, one thing, um, I'm, I'm very fond of uh, trying to understand. Uh, one of the things I I, I appreciate of great products uh, in the world are there is a very strong anthropological uh, element to how the product was built Um from start to begin, right? So, so when I thought about khata, I was like there has to be something fundamentally right about the khata, right? And that right is, has to be ingrained in human, human psychology and history and so on. And obviously the product itself is as bad as it gets, right? It's a piece of paper and a pen. And you know, khata has, you know, uh, rich people use it, poor people use it, young people use it, old people use it, people use it in Bombay. People use it in Mathura and Delhi, and I'm sure other parts of the world also in some format. And, um, and not only do we use it now, we've been using it for thousands of years. Um, and the in- interesting thing is, um, you know, around that time, and, you know, I, I give this, uh, analogy of liar's poker and how, when you're thinking something, you know, if you are keep on at it, you-, you start putting the puzzle yourself. I ended up coming across a book that I had never read that I got it, got during the times of Bearson's uh, crash. Uh, it's called 5,000 Years of Debt. Um, uh, that's the name of the book. It's an 800-page book, hard to read. Uh, somebody gifted me during the financial crisis, like, all right, you created the crisis, so here's a book which will tell you why it happened. Uh, and um, and I never read that book, and I was here like just like spending time, and so I had some time, I guess, so I was reading this book, and the first chapter of the book was talking about how, how money itself, um, a lot of people think that money was created to solve the barter system, right? Uh, where people with goats and milk and rice would not trade with each other. Uh, and, and what the book talk, talked about was the original form of money was a khata, right? Where people used to trade in small little areas and thousands of years back, right? And khata was money, right? And and I, and I was like, okay, well khata is money, obviously. And, you know, and I, I kind of felt what is, anthropological about khata and like that that really gave me two insights and those are the two insights we are building simple with we've never changed it because to us that's like the most fundamental truth um and the two insights are for a retailer khata is an ability to build a relationship of trust with their customer right khata is not financing or loan lending or bnpl or pay later or any of these jargons it's a very simple easy way for a retailer to build a relationship of trust, trust being the most important thing, which drives loyalty, retention, conversions, the whole nine yards. So that's khata. Uh, So that makes sense, right? And like one thing, you know, a little bit Jeff Bezos style, we ask these things uh, often at Simple is like, okay, well, is that the most foundational insight? Because the question is, would retailers thousand years back want to build trust relations with the customers? answer is yes. Would would they want to do it now? The answer is yes. Would they want to do it in, on the internet? The answer is yes. Would they want to do it in the US? The answer is yes. Right. Um, uh, would they want to do it thousand years out? Probably yes. Right. And so we are like, okay, we are, we are convinced this is the first principle, this is the truth. And, and you know, we can build on top of it. The second truth we felt uh, was, I often say this, the best payment experience is no experience. No one ever woke up in the morning to make a payment or go to a store to make a payment or go to Amazon to make a one-click checkout, right? Um, these are all things that we have made up. Uh, but the reality at the fundamental level is the the best experience of payment is zero, right? And when you think about khata, that's exactly what it is, right? You just don't even make a payment, right? Uh, at the point of consumption, uh, of course, you have to do it in the end. Uh, so yeah, we kind of like, so my insight was, and honestly, at that point, it was a little bit. Uh, A little bit of a, honestly, I, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, the insight was, well, if you reimagine the khata on the internet and make it available for online retailers, right, Uh, and eventually everyone, um, such that people can just do multiple transactions and pay one bill, and uh, if if there is a network of such khatas across everywhere, e-commerce at least, then you can basically replace the credit card completely, and you reimagine like, it's a new thing. Doing the same thing, but in a much better way and a much efficient way, uh, knowing fully well, obviously, there'll be a lot of challenges in this and uh, managing risk and fraud would, be, would not be trivial. Uh, yeah, anyways, that's, you know, when you when you see it, I, I, I you know, you, you you ask this question, Mazin, like, what is the truth? So that's sort of our truth, right, um, uh, that we know a lot of people don't agree with it, uh, that it's even possible to do something like this. Uh, but, you know, the thing with. The interesting thing about startups is that when you've seen the truth and you truly know its truth, it's impossible to unsee it. Like you can't, you cannot not see it anymore. Uh, and that is what gives you the the passion, the drive, and the, the the whatever you need to go through all the challenges to kind of like get there because you know this exists.
2: No, thank you so much for walking us through that. I think it really helps to to build a good good foundation to now talk about what does simple do? How are you solving these problems? How is it different from the 1950s credit card?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as, as I said, like uh, the, foundational concept of simple is, is a cut on the internet, right? It's available everywhere. Right. So the way simple works is, is we are a set of APIs and SDKs that online retailers uh, can integrate on their um, mobile application, web website, Shopify store, WooCommerce store, Wherever, right? So we are horizontal, neutral, and interoperable. Right? Uh, when retailers integrate Simple, they work with us very, very closely uh, to to understand who their customers are, and with that, um, we are able to power the simple experience uh, to them, uh, to their customer uh, on on their sort of like checkout page, uh, or or uh, this button can be anywhere. Uh, so there is a button typically on, called Simple Simple Pay. When you click this button, uh, three, you get three things as a consumer. One, a one-click checkout like Amazon one-click checkout, right? uh, which, as you know, in India doesn't even exist. So we are quite unique that way. When you buy something, you're not moving money at all, right? You're just taking an accounting of that uh, into a ledger and, and, and then every 15 days you get one bill and you get one bill, not just for that retailer, but across the retailers where you may have pressed this button. And then we work with retailers very, very uh, closely uh, to pro- to build standardized buyer protection features, regardless of where you buy online. Things like if you don't get delivery, you don't have to pay, right? Uh, if you if if you need to return, you get a refund as long as your behavior is considered uh, good uh, in r- real time and so on, right? So basically, working on a bunch of building blocks, protocols, features to build trust. Uh, as people buy things from online retailers. And so the way the reason the consumers use simple is it's a it's an easy way to buy things online, one click, and so on, and it's the safest way to buy things online, right? And the way it translates to value for retailers and why retailers work with us so closely is um they see an increase in com- increase in conversions uh, of anywhere from 30 to 60 percent, depending on category, uh increase in retention, and very importantly, uh reduction cash and delivery. Um, So, you know, as I said, one of the biggest drivers of cash and delivery is trust, right? And so if you can solve the trust problem, you obviously solve the cash and delivery problem. And and that problem is a huge problem. It has massive operational overhangs in e-commerce, right? So that's sort of like what simple is. Um, The way it is different from a credit card is uh, twofold. Uh, and, and within credit card, you know, one thing to understand is uh, when you think about a credit card, it's if you unbundle it, uh, credit card is obviously a, uh, a network, which is typically a Visa or MasterCard. And then, of course, there is a bank who gives you a line of credit. Right? And then there are multiple things, at least in the online world or the physical world, that make it ha- make it work, right? So for example, if you go to a physical store, you have to swipe a card or chip and pin it. There is a machine that's typically done by some other, this thing. So basically, the credit card is credit card is built in what is called a four-party value chain where there's a merchant, there's a what is called an acquiring bank, then there's a network and an issuer and so on. And this whole thing was built again in the 1950s, right? Um, and as you can imagine in 1950s, you needed so many things to make things happen. Like imagine 1950s, there was no spreadsheet. So how do you know who, who was what, right? So it was a lot of paperwork, I guess. Uh, and then over time, innovation happens slowly, right? Imagine from 1950s to a uh, 1980s, there was hardly software, right? So, you know, this value chain got fossilized uh, and then, you know, the value chain could not be taken out, even though we saw uh, big innovations in software and internet and databases and so on. And, um, and what happens with this value chain is, uh, in the end, is this value chain is quite self-serving now. Um, um, it is it makes a lot of money for itself and um, banks and so on uh, and this network that makes it happen visa it's a network of banks uh, their main customer is a bank and the way we think about simple is uh, and the question that we answer is like as a sort of like this north star is what's the next visa going to look like and the way we think about it is the next visa will be a network like visa right but unlike a network of banks it'll be a network of merchants retailers right so retailers will be the owner of this network and driver of the network and value creator from the network and um, and, 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 and and yeah, I mean, uh, the way we think about it is, you know, we are very much merchant first uh, and empowering merchants to be consumer centric. Um, uh, there is nothing in this product where there is a credit element, right? It's like, I mean, there is a credit element as in an element that somebody will pay the khata later, but the, the that's a tool. The, the value of the tool is to drive convenience and
1: trust so how did a, you get the retailer's on board Nitya? like what was the uh, story you told them what is how did you win their trust and what is the value proposition to them like you said you wanted to be a merchant network yeah
0: so um you know in, in a business like this especially a network um you know i always say this the first 10 merchants are impossible right right why would somebody join you in the first and then and then the first 1000 are very very hard and then starts getting slightly easier, although it's never easy. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we had quite a bit of existential moments where getting the first merchant like was no joke. And honestly, we tried everything, nothing happened. And looking, look, look like, while sounds like a great idea, this doesn't work because you have to be insane to, as a merchant to, you know, use this for the first time. And, um, you know, and obviously, as you can imagine, the first thing I always heard from people are like, like, you don't understand, you just came from the US. Indians are like this, Indians are like that. They will not pay, this will, you know, fraud will happen and no one will pay anyone and, and so on. And I was like, oh, like, you know, in, in your weakest moments, the, those things do disturb you. Um, but, you know, our first merchant was a food uh, food merchant. Um, uh, it was Faso's. Uh, and they were um, really good helping us, you know, getting us up and running. Uh, but i remember the pitch with them uh with uh, with fasos team uh, and the pitch was you know i had pitched everything at the time uh, everything uh, and got laughed out of the door by merchants who were who hardly doing business and obviously fasos was uh, very established um back then and even now and i remember i tried everything and my my final pitches was this was almost like okay this is not going to work out so let's try the last thing and i had uh this my deck and i was sitting with Jadeep, uh, who's, a C- who's the CEO of ASO's. Um, and the first slide of the deck had Snoop Dogg's picture. Hmm. And, um, and, and in and just one line, which said, your customers think they are rock, rock stars. Do you treat them like one question mark? And I just showed him, just like the how, how checkout and everything works on app and this OTP and this and all of that, right? And I just like showed the simple experience, like somebody comes press a button and then out, right? And kata. and like yeah, they were like holy shit, and yeah, makes sense, and let's go, right? And literally we launched in a week, right? Um, nice. And yeah, um, that that obviously gave gave us the first uh, push, and that was so good um, of the team there, and took took obviously a chance, uh, and we definitely performed, and yeah, then people started seeing the results. I mean, obviously we were talking about like this will happen, that will happen, but yeah, the conversions improved. Drastically, uh, retention improved drastically uh, because that's what the khata does, right? Uh, and then again, people who were otherwise using COD, and like even now, like you know, 50 60% of e commerce is COD. Like 15, 2015, 16, it was like probably higher, right? 70, 80%. People started using cash and deli- uh, simple, right? Uh, instead of cash and delivery because that became an alternate to, you know, people even now, and, and you know, the way people think about simple is pay after delivery, right? It's right. not pay later, it's like pay after delivery. And the way I sometimes say is like it's like cashless COD, right? Hmm. It's, it's all the benefits of COD without the cash. And that's right. good for everyone, right? So yeah, we saw the results and then it was just like one, one merchant at a time and you know, whatever, uh, it was it was fun. Uh, but, but yeah, then we got our first 10 and then the momentum started building and then you start getting the network going a little bit and over time it becomes slightly better.
1: and uh, nitya what sort of myths did you come across with consumers when you were um building this out and you've been doing credit for a while now uh, so your top two top three myths that you may have seen um which consumers held about credit
0: yeah um i think that couple of uh, few myths are um um First of all, as I said, right? I mean, the, when we were starting simple, the, the biggest thing we needed to prove and pretty much everybody said we are wrong uh, was that you cannot do this like this on the internet. So our product is, is, is actually a khata, right? This is, this is not a loan. There's no real uh, sort of like, um, you know, we can't report as a civil and so on, right? Um, so it is uh, just like khata, you can choose not to, to pay it also. Uh, so how do you underwrite in that construct, right? Um, and most people would say, this doesn't work. This will just not work, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a big myth. Uh, we have proved it works. Uh, we have millions of monthly active users now, and yeah, we are um, unit economics uh, more than uh, break even and profitable uh, at a unit economic level. So yeah, so that works. Uh, the second is on the consumer side. Um, um, yeah, I mean, like one of the myths is that you know, and this is not so. Because it's a like I'll just give an analogy, right? Because it's a khata. If you think about it, khata is the original subscription product, right? Um, right, and so, right. so we we now power a lot of subscriptions of you know. Pe- so what do people use Simple to do? Right, they they use it to buy a couple of foods on Zomato in a month, and then a couple of things on Zepto and Dunzo and book my Show and Make My Trip and some sneaker on like you, you know, seven to ten things and just pay one bill. So that's what they do. Uh, and, uh, we are also on content websites like times of India. You also, you know, one click, read an article for 20 rupees and move on. Right. Um, so it's, it's all about just like, just move on. Like there is no, it's just like hot. just keep on consuming and you'll get a bill in the end. Um, so, so we, we power a lot of subscriptions. Um, and one of the, one of the, one of the things, um, people always say is, is India, in India, there's no, sub- subscriptions can't work.
1: Right.
0: right. And, and as you know, like in the U S and most markets, subscriptions. Are more like. commerce and India subscription doesn't work. Indians will not do subscriptions. Right. And I always say, look, India is the biggest subscription market in the world already. Hmm. Right. And you'd be surprised I'm saying that. And then I ask you the question, what do you think happens with your Doodwala or the newspaper wala or your, like. all these things that you have, these things that they're all subscriptions, right? Um, right. They're just like your kapa type informal economy, but you know, but it is anthropological, right? I mean, like, the moment you trust someone and they trust you, they just let you say, "Hey, just take my milk, take my newspaper, take my take my bread or whatever they right. will come to your house and give it to you and then give you a bill and then you pay it off. That's exactly what subscription is and and if you I mean no probably don't knows how big this market is, but right. every room has it, every small town has it, every big town has it, probably hundreds of millions of people use it um, and so therefore there is a subscription market uh, how do you now? Take that inside and put it in a product, right? So, yeah, those are the things uh, you know. Uh, you know, we are very excited about um, what we are doing, and and the exciting, the most exciting thing, um, and I think that's, I think probably most people um, maybe not think about it deeply enough, which is if you think about e-commerce, um, US, and we all compare our sort of like as US and Europe as sort of like this benchmark of what it could be, right, or right. Like in China, right? In the US, e-commerce started in ninety five. and here we are in 2023, like almost 30 years out. So it's a 30-year mature e-commerce market. Yeah, e-commerce started just in 2012, right? I mean, I think not much was, I was not here, but not much was happening, right? Um, So 2012, 2013 is when it started, and we are just a 10-year e-commerce market, right? I mean like one-third the sort of like that time, the age of the market, but this market is being built on the most latest technologies, right? uh, and, and us e-commerce have some infrastructure deficit, right? I mean, like things were built in nineties and eighties and whatever, two thousands and so on. And in India, everything is on the mobile and cloud and, and so on, which is why we have, you know, 10 minutes delivery, three minutes delivery, and so on. Right. I mean, like you can't imagine that in the US. So, you know, we, we, think that e-commerce in India is a, it's just like, it's still in, 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 just this very adult, uh, early sort of like puberty type period and right. only become a, an, an adult, in the future, and um, there is just so much to do, and um, uh, leveraging the latest that we have in technology to serve more and more consumers, serve more and more retailers, and make e-commerce more uh, democratic is how we think about it—not just for consumers, also retailers.
1: What sort of scale are you at today, Nitya? Broadly, uh, we have
0: about um, yeah twenty six thousand merchants, okay, and about uh, a little north of about seven million million
1: consumers. i Understand? Got it. Um, just one, a few final questions before our, before we wrap. Um, where do you see the opportunity for fintech entrepreneurs today? Uh, is regulation a big issue? How do you think about India versus the US? If you can highlight a few areas for founders to build in.
0: Yeah, um, I think um, uh, I, I think this is true for fintech, but largely true for all tech is. Uh, I think the exciting thing about India compared to the US is that um, the foundational infrastructure um, has been built by the by the government uh, to a very large extent, and it's available as an open API and for no cost to pretty right. much everyone. Like whether it could be a very large company like an Amazon or Google, or it could be a startup entrepreneur. Right. So, what is that? like the India stack at the Aadhaar and all of that what we call right. India stack, UPI and account aggregator framework and a few things that are happening uh coming up uh with the with, with all the interesting innovation so the fundamental structure is already built right, right. So you think about us for example there are startups who are just building that right and happening right, right? things like you know there's a company called Plat, which is a very very valuable very interesting company right. but they're basically building what is already there as like for everybody to use and it's first class, right? Right. So I think um, in India, the the real opportunities are to kind of like, not sort of like copy what's happening in the US and like make a better version of it, uh, but sort of like ask this foundational question, you know, something is already there, right? Which is just first class. Um, And then of course there is a consumer and and, and businesses and various people who have these problems. How do we sort of like leverage um, this new thing and uh, reimagine not just product uh, innovation on the product side but on the business model side one of the exciting things i believe in technology is not just like having a better product but a much better business model that right. aligns yourself um, align yourself better with the your customer right which is right. you want to give the better product at a cheaper cost uh, and and sort of like have a business model where you make money when your customer makes money right um, so i think that's super important. Um, uh, obviously in FinTech, um, uh, it's slightly different from other sort of tech, uh, but that's the sort of advice understand. I give anyone. I to.
1: understand. And just a final closing question, why we call this founders unfiltered, what's some piece of unfiltered feedback you received as a founder, which changed your perspective? Uh, we're looking for brutal, honest, uh, kind of feedback. Uh, you know,
0: you know, when you've done this for long enough, you get so much feedback and uh, it's very hard to find one. But but I think one of that, one of the feedbacks is, um, and eventually it's not a feedback, it's a series of things that eventually give you an insight, um, which is um, the importance of building your company and business in a way where um, after a point as a founder and CEO, you are focusing on building the machine as opposed to the parts of the machine, right? Because right. what happens is, you know, when you start anything, you are just like one person and then five people and then 20 people or whatever, and like you're doing things all the time, right? And, and, and you're passionate about it and, you know, have a very strong point of view and so on and, and you cannot get out of it, right? And then, you know, really the product is working, more people are using it and you're building out the team. and and then and how important it is to truly be able to hire people better than you smarter than you um, more ambitious than you and 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 then you are focusing more and more on um not i i think delegation is the wrong word but empowering uh, others right. to the best version of themselves and knowing that everybody will sort of take the journey that you have taken which is screwing up a lot right in the process right. uh, uh, but as as long as the progress is forward uh, looking and you know the, every every screw up is making you a better version of yourself uh, and how how do you make sure that's a role you play as a uh, founder? Um, yeah, that's been uh, the biggest realization uh, for, awesome. over the last few years.
1: Nitya, thank you so much for openly sharing your journey. I think it's very useful to our listeners. Thank you all for tuning in.